People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Now, The Children of Willesden Lane is a book written by Mona Golubek, a true story of hope and survival during the Second World War. And it's about 14-year-old Lisa Jura, a musical prodigy who hoped to become a concert pianist. But when Hitler's armies advanced on pre-war Vienna, Lisa's parents were forced to make a really difficult decision. They were able to secure passage for only one of their three daughters through the Kindertransport, and they chose to send gifted Lisa to London for safety. As she yearned to be reunited with her family while she lived in a home for refugee children on Willesden Lane, Lisa's music became a beacon of hope. And actually, I have to say, having just read the book, it is a remarkable memoir of courage, survival, resilience, and above all, the power of music to uplift the human spirit. Now, Lisa's daughter is Mona Golubek, who has written this book, and um, Mona was in Cape Town this week doing a concert where she performed these works, favorite works, and also outreach programs for um, children. And Mona, welcome. It's a great pleasure. It's an honor to meet you after having read your mother's book. It's a true pleasure to be here. Thank you. I say your mother's book. I mean, you obviously wrote it, but it was about your mother. I'd like to just begin by saying, what made you write this book? What made you want to write it? You know, it's so amazing to be here in this incredible city and to have performed at City Hall, where I'm aware that one of your greatest heroes, one of the greatest heroes in history, stood on that balcony and made that speech. It, it just, I was chilled when I became aware of all of this. And to have had the opportunity to perform there in that hall, that historic uh, place, sort of emphasizes why I chose to really humbly bring my mother's story to the world. Um, when I was a little kid, she taught me the piano, and in the piano lessons, she told me the story of her life. In between the Bach and the Beethoven, I learned about mysterious characters, a train ride that got her to safety. I learned about man's inhumanity to man, and I learned about man's humanity to man. And many, many years later, I was engaged to play the very piece that she had dreamed about in Vienna when she was a prodigy to make her debut in, the Grieg Piano Concerto. And I thought, wow, that's the piece she always told me about. I suddenly began to remember all those stories, and I thought, maybe I could get a book written. Maybe I could get a movie made. I kind of dreamed that if I could get something out there, I could inspire so many young people and audiences to those powerful messages. What do you hold on to in the darkest of times when you're faced with a challenge? But the greater question, really, what is our purpose here on Earth? Because as I am so fond of saying now on a global level, this is a story of man's humanity to man. And Mona, what's interesting is you've not only written the book, but you also, there was a, there was a one-man play, I think, was there, based on the book, was it? Tell me a little bit about that. The play was uh, created by a brilliant artist in America by the name of Hershey Felder, who took a chance on me and adapted the book for the stage. 
Uh, it's called The Pianist of Wilsdon Lane. And over the last six years, I would say, ever since we began in Los Angeles, he has toured me in many major cities in America. And then he opened me in London in two theatrical runs. And it was the success of the play and the one-person show that really allowed me to grow my educational mission and become uh, make the mission more aware to uh, philanthropists and educators across the world. And I started a communication with Richard Friedman here from the uh, Cape Town Holocaust Genocide Center, uh, incredible uh, individual who understood the value of this uh, program. And we dreamed together to see how I could come to South Africa to be able to bring the study of the book as well as the live theatrical show to thousands of students. Did you do the show as well while you were in Cape Town or was it adapted to your musical performance or was it the actual show that we saw? So the show that we brought to both Johannesburg for thousands of students in the adult community as well as the exact same project here in Cape Town is a hybrid of what the one-person theatrical show is. Oh, I see. Pretty much the same show, same story, same images, same sound effects, but instead of coming out as uh, in a wig and becoming my mother at that young age, I'm still Mona the daughter walking out on stage, sharing with the audience, why did I want to tell this story, telling the story, becoming the characters, but I remain Mona throughout. It must be quite an experience for you with a background like this to actually play your mother. That must have been quite an emotional, I almost want to say a hurdle to overcome. It was very challenging. When the producer first asked me to go find a red wig and put it on, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> but then I really stepped up to the challenge and worked very hard. And I would say that walking out on stage and becoming my mother and becoming those characters and telling that story always takes a piece of my heart out every time. And my acting coach, because um, I really went to work and study how to go out on stage to do this, he would always say to me, Mona, it has to cost you every time you walk out there. Always, you must never take it for granted. Mm -hmm. The privilege that you have to go out and to share this story is so amazing. And if it doesn't cost you, get off that stage. <laughs> well, good advice, don't you agree, Mona? Absolutely. And it obviously helped you and has turned the show into great success. Now, the first piece of music I noticed from the book is a very early piece in Lisa's life, and that was her learning to play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. And that's what you've chosen as our first piece. Does this have a special resonance for you as a result? Well, I think it was one of the last pieces she was able to study with her teacher because obviously when the laws came in and Hitler came in and uh, into Austria, so many things were uh, regulated against the Jewish people and one of them was that she couldn't continue her lessons. But also the Moonlight Sonata, I think, is so takes you back to another time, to the old world of Europe that is now gone to us.
Well, part there of the first movement of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, that famous movement, his piano sonata number 14 in C-sharp minor, and the pianist there, John Lill. The first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Mona Golubek, who is the daughter of Lisa Dürer, a concert pianist who spent time in London, a long time in London, at Willesden Lane and the book The Children of Willesden Lane is a fascinating read I have to tell you which as Mona said both reminds you of the humanity and the inhumanity that humans are capable of. Mona it's interesting now um, your career as such has not just been an ordinary concert pianist because you're doing this more than anything else aren't you although you are a fully fledged concert pianist. This has really become my mission now in life and it has become, uh, I'm so deeply moved to see the acceptance of audiences and the excitement of audiences from all walks of life, from all ages, from all ethnicities, because it's a universal story. And we really found a way through the music to tell the story. And now this is my mission to really bring this onto a global level. And it's just been such a privilege. The book now is in nine languages. I'm really thrilled to share with your audience uh, your listening audience that a movie will be coming out in 2021 oh, based really? on the book major feature film um, so I have really a chance here to spread a message that inspires uh, uh, you know before I came here to South Africa I was brought to Zimbabwe and I performed there for uh, many students and received these letters where they speak about the themes of this story being music hope resilience and persistence and even though this is the story of a Jewish teenager in World War II, it is more relevant to today than ever before when we think about the issues that we face uh, on this planet. Uh, we, we are seeing a refugee crisis of unbelievable proportions since World War II, and we're seeing con continuing genocides and continuing uh, things that are happening between uh, uh, people that we must uh, rise up and fight against because I think we all know and believe that there is no place for these kinds of uh, actions in humanity. And you're in a country now which is still badly scarred by the horror of apartheid, which must also be an interesting angle for you. It's probably, and I've expressed this to the audiences in both cities, walking out on these stages, looking into the shining eyes, the sea array of, of diversity of the young people. Uh, this is such an honor to be here, to a country that really is a beacon of light, uh, a country that fought for the dignity and equality of individuals and as I said standing on that stage and in that auditorium that is so historic I don't think I've ever had such an opportunity. Is it your first visit to Cape Town? Yes. And you when you I know you said that you were discussing it it was a dream um, when you first got here how did it feel? Well mostly I couldn't wait to see the penguins. <laughs> the penguins, <laughs> the down penguins. at Boulder's Beach. Uh, right, Simonstown yes. we, yes, dro we yes. drove down there and oh my god the beauty of the Cape is uh, unparalleled mm -hmm. in the world. Absolutely extraordinary. And what sort of sense did you get from the people here and the audiences? Uh, staggering. The response from uh, what I care most about is to see how students embrace this story, take the story in, the cheering from the audiences, the questions in the Q&A from young people, uh, the excitement to know about 
what did Lisa choose? Why did she do this? Uh, how the kids banded together? How they go after their dreams? Despite uh, one of the darkest periods in history, they embrace this so deeply. Mm. And also, um, it's interesting that you've aimed at young people specifically, haven't you? Because they are the ones that are the future. And so specifically, your whole focus is on them as indeed it is in this book. Absolutely. So, Mona, do you travel? You said you do this all over the world. Is this, the, is this your, as you said, it's your mission, isn't it? Gosh. Yes. We've, and we've, when I asked you where you stayed, you said in, in hotels. Hotels and corporate housing, and yes. And corporate housing. Yeah. So we, we, we really are on a movement here. I'm, I'm particularly honored to be partnered now with uh, Spielberg's, uh, Steven Spielberg's USC Shoah Foundation. And we're uh, rolling out an ambitious platform to bring this on a worldwide level. Through the internet, through discovery education, and many uh, online tools. Um, as I mentioned, the book is in many languages now. The movie will be coming out. But the thing that I must say, the thing that keeps me going above all, and I say this every time after every performance when I look into the shining eyes of the students in the audience, they are the reason I keep going. Gosh, okay. Well, let's have another piece of music and also from the book. Another great favorite that Lisa used to play to the children in the boarding house in Willesden Lane, and they used to crowd around the piano and just couldn't get enough of it, was Claire de Lune by Debussy, which apparently, by all accounts, she must have played very beautifully. I think that the what my mother went through in life entered her heart so deeply that she brought deep emotion into the expressions and interpretation. But I also know that that particular piece was a favorite of her mother, Malka. And she used to go to the piano when the Nazis would cause all this pain in the streets and all the vicious actions that they took. She would go to the piano and comfort her mother and play the Claire de Lune.
one of Debussy's most evocative pieces, that for piano, Claire de Lune, and played there by Dame Moore Olympany. And another, the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week, the concert pianist Mona Golubek, the daughter of Lisa Dura, a concert pianist who was one of the children taken to London on the kinder train uh, to escape the Nazi invasion. And I would just like a minute to talk a little bit more about your mother. When I was reading this book, and I read it, I mean, sort of out the blue, I was struck by this young lady who seemed to be almost, I don't know, sort of spiritual presence. She had a remarkable calmness about her, but she also had authority and leadership and gentleness and she really made the most of living in these hostels, really, didn't she? And her presence inspired all the children around her. Well, she was bigger than life. She walked into a room and she commanded. And as she would always say to me that when she first walked into the hostel and went to the piano and played uh, the music, as the children came out of their rooms and stood on the staircases and watched her, she said in that moment, every boy in the hostel fell in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> she was quite a flirt. Uh, she was beautiful when one views the images of her. Uh, she dressed to the nines. Everything had to be perfectly matched, even though they were very impoverished. But she had a knack for doing that, and she had that all her life, mm -hmm. even as she... Uh, raised us in America um, but she had a will and a fire in her heart to make something of her life and what I found to be an extraordinary gift from my parents despite their losses was to emphasize the privilege of life and the importance of standing up and doing something with your life they did not fall into um, the sorrow of, of of victims. They fought to say, you must make something of your life. Mm -hmm. Mona, tell me a little bit about your father, her husband, French resistance fighter, Michael Golubek. He was one of the highest decorated Jewish officers in the French resistance. He was born in Lomża, which is uh, a small village near Bialystok in Poland to a very fine Jewish family. Uh, five five children altogether. He was the youngest. He was sent to Montpellier to study in a boarding school uh, a few years before the war broke out. That was kind of traditional to send children on to France. And he lied about his age and joined the resistance. Uh, he became the captain of an elite motorcycle brigade. Uh, he was imprisoned twice in German prison camps and escaped. And as I mentioned, he received the Croix de Guerre from uh, Charles de Gaulle uh, after the war. Uh, all his family uh, was gone except for two brothers. And he changed the course of his life when he met my mother because he was going to immigrate to Australia. Many uh, survivors did that and mm -hmm. many um, Jewish refugees did that. But instead, he fell in love with my mother when he saw her at the concert. Yes, it was almost love at first sight. It was that sort of across the crowded room. I remember yes. you telling the story in the book how, and he, by all accounts, was a very handsome sort of soldier. Um, and Lisa was blown off her feet, and as was he indeed. Yes, yeah, it was a, quite a love uh, striking in that moment. And I've seen some pictures from the both of them uh, back then, and 
Um, and I, when I was a little kid in school, I was always proud when my parents came into the room because they were so different and striking in that way. But the more important message really is that they were beautiful human beings who had deep morality and integrity. And as I said, emphasized to both my sister and I the privilege of being alive on this earth and standing up for something. Mm-hmm. And do from your childhood, do you remember them very, very vividly, the two parents, your two parents? Incredibly. Completely vividly. Incredibly. My father spoke seven languages. And uh, his dream was to have been a doctor, but it was cut f- short by the war, of course, and they were all impoverished after the war and coming as refugees to America. Mm-hmm. But um, they passed on their dreams to my sister and I. So they had two children, you and your sister. Is your sister a musician? My sister was a musician. We lost my sister at a young age. She oh, was no. my, my best friend. Oh, no. And uh, we did we did many concerts together, and we uh, did many recordings together, including one recording of Carnival the Animals, where we produced it and had 13 actors. I know. Uh, I was quite astonished when I saw that. Yes, including uh, folks like Charlton Heston and Betty White and Audrey Hepburn. And it was an amazing project that we uh, created together. And I'll never forget, uh, Charlton Heston insisted that he had to be the lion. And nobody <laughs> wanted to read The Jackass. So Betty White, who cares about animals no matter what who they are, said, okay, I'll read The Jackass. <laughs> but it's quite a lineup. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, James Earl Jones, Walter Matthau, William Shatner, Lily Tomlin, Joan Rivers, Dudley Moore. I mean, how did you get them all together? That's quite you a know, feat. You know, it was quite a feat. Uh, I, I cold called to their agents and, and introduced myself as a concert pianist. So I think having said that was a little different than a snarly agent calling up. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so it kind of worked. And uh, after I got a, the first few celebrities, and Audrey Hepburn was extraordinary. What a lady. Beautiful. So I'll never forget. And you will never forget your sister, I dare say, for a project like that as well. She was my best friend and inspired me to write the book. I think you also said that your mother was one of your best friends. You seem to have a very special relationship with her. Yes, she was. The both of them. Mona, we've got Rachmaninoff's C-sharp minor prelude now, which is one of his most famous pieces. Just tell me why you've put this in. Because it works fantastically in the story, not only from the Howard Hotel where my mother uh, got her job and my father heard her play that for the first time, but... It also works fabulously in the images that we project of the war years, those crashing chords in the middle and D-Day. It just uh, speaks so beautifully into the text. Thank you. 
The Prelude in C-sharp minor by Rachmaninoff, played there by Vladimir Ashkenazi. And another choice, the third choice of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, the concert pianist Mona Golebeck, whose book, The Children of Williston Lane, has not only been made into a play, but uh, Mona was here inspiring our youth, Mona. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, are there recordings of Lisa, your mother? Are there commercial recordings of hers? There are none, but interesting that you should ask me that question. Uh, Many, many years later, um, after I began writing the story, I met up with one of the uh, young boys that my mother, the boy that my mother was in love with, Aaron, from the story, and he took me upstairs in his home to his attic opened a closet and gave me two large uh, 78 recordings that my mother had made for him during the war years. And he put it on an old machine, played it for me, and for the very first time I heard my mother playing the piano from those days, uh, the Liebestron, Polonaise of Chopin, and I heard her voice, and that was amazing. As a very young lady at that stage. Yes, and what did it say to you? Well, it was it was amazing to hear her voice, which I've always said sounded like a uh, a cross between an English cup of tea and a slice <laughs> of Viennese Sachertorte, <laughs> Mitschlag. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite a contrast, quite a combination. Um, and have you got recordings? Have you got commercial recordings around? I, I've, I have done many, many recordings. Yes. Uh, I was very privileged to uh, do the Arensky-Tchaikovsky trio with uh, Andres Cardenas and Jeffrey Solo, for which we were nominated for a Grammy. Um, I have the recording of the Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto, the recordings with my sister of the Colonel of the Animals, and also Ravel's Mother, uh, Ravel's Mother Goose Suite and the Poulenc Double Piano Concerto. And in the Ravel, we had uh, Meryl Streep read poetry oh, in my. between the uh, the pieces. So I've done a lot of very inter- different approaches to classical mm-hmm. music in that way. Do you miss playing concertos with orchestras, or is what you're doing now so absorbing and so rewarding that you don't miss it? I don't miss it, and it's so incredibly fulfilling, and it's become a uh, a real movement mm-hmm. for me and a real challenge to bring this message. So it's not only the performances, but it's the study of the book, it's curriculum, it's uh, students creating projects around uh, essays, videos in the thousands that we have now accumulated, um, translations of the book, all, all of these uh, aspects in a multimedia way, and that has become uh, really very fulfilling. Mona, you um, mentioned this young man that your mother fell in love with, Aaron, and I'm interested to hear the next part of the story when you said that you met him and he took you upstairs to play her records. What does come across very strongly in the book is that she was quite clearly in love with him, what an impact she had on his life and how she had to suffer yet more hardship when he was sent away. He was imprisoned, I think, at one stage on the Isle of Man. That's yes. right, that's mm-hmm. right. Yes. I mean, she really had her life cut out for her, didn't she, in a sense that she had to be, if she wasn't strong and didn't have this beacon of hope, which was her mind, surely, she would have, she would have collapsed under the pressure. Yeah, I think the story is really about an individual who had one loss after the next, mm. one challenge after mm. the next, and what did she hold on to that got her through? 
Yeah. And it was her music. Yes. And which her mother wanted her to do, as you said. And I'm right in saying, uh, we discussed this before we came into the studio, she, in your book, you don't actually say the parents had died. They were impossible to contact. But obviously they were they were killed at, a, at Auschwitz. They were sent to Auschwitz in either 41 or 42. I can't remember right now. So it's always very painful t- for me to imagine that these children held on to the hope all through the war years, not knowing for the majority that their parents had already been uh, shipped to uh, Auschwitz or to the concentration And camps. isn't it amazing as well, Mona, that, as we said, music was so important to her, but she could so easily have lost her impetus. Uh, she was stopped taking lessons in Vienna because she was Jewish. Her mother carried on teaching her, but then she had to go on this train to London. And yet she was able to win a place at the Royal College of Music. She got a scholarship to study with Mabel Floyd of the the college. And I think it, again, points to the message that she was given at the train station by Malka, her mother, who implored her to hold on to her music and that she would be with her every step of the way through the music. That's the single strongest reason why I ever wrote the book, because my Mm -hmm. mother would tell me that when she put me to sleep at night. Gosh. Did your mother, you said that when you were having lessons, your mother told you these stories, because what struck me is that you know a lot of detail. She must have spoken to you a lot about what she went through, because reading the book is like a narrative. There's lots of day-to-day detail, um, the food, the clothing, her working as a seamstress, remember that huge factory? She always told me whenever I complained as a young child about having to practice or different things, she'd say, well, you know, I had to work long hours uh, as a seamstress in the factory uh, in the East End, so please don't complain. <laughs> she would tell me all these things, yes. Well, you know, in terms of the details, we did a lot of research, and as we say in the front of the of the book, the story is a metaphor in a way, and it's a combination of many characters. Uh, we, did, we, we interviewed a lot of people. Actually, Aaron is not the real name of the boy. Oh, really? Aaron is a combination of two boys that uh, that we took the characteristics of because we wanted to protect the identity of the person, the real person who asked for that. He was a very private person. So when I think about this book and the story, the most important thing is that I want it to be a symbol or a message, a greater message. Whether one detail is exactly really what my mother went through or not, it might have been... Uh, ascribed, uh, you know, the particular food or whatnot, maybe to another child or whatnot. But the but the important thing is what do you take away from the story? Absolutely. And Absolutely. that message really is, as I say to audiences, I'm alive today, me, Mona, because a generation long ago decided to save 10,000 Jewish children. Uh, and that's the message we have to think about in the world today. So many things are going on, and we're getting immune in a way. We're getting so uh, immune to the Internet. and the, 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 this. I mean, I as an American am so ghastly heartbroken over what is going on in my own country with the gun violence. Mm-hmm. And it's like you want to almost shout out, what is it going to take? To make a change. Yeah. And in your way, you're making a change, Mona, I would like to think. I'm interested in your next piece, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You. I don't remember coming across that in your book. (laughs) 
Well, my mother, when she got that job at the Howard Hotel, which she was ecstatic about, she left the factories and now she was growing up and she could buy stockings and high heel shoes and makeup and hats. And of course, she got this job playing for the soldiers. Well, she knew she had to throw in some goodies. So one of them was strike up the band and these foolish things remind me of you. A cigarette that bears a lipstick traces An airline ticket to romantic places And still my heart has wings These foolish things remind me of you A tinkling piano in the next apartment Those stumbling words that told you what my heart meant A fairground's painted swings These foolish things remind me of you You came You saw You conquered me When you did that to me I knew somehow This had to be The winds of March That made my heart a dancer A telephone that rings And who's to answer Oh, how the ghost of you cling These foolish things remind me of you First daffodils and long excited cables And candle lights on little corner tables And still my heart has wings These Foolish things remind me of you The park at evening when the bell has sounded The Ile de France with all the gulls around it The beauty that is spring These foolish things remind me of you how strange, how sweet To find you still These things are dear to me They seem to bring you near to me The sigh of midnight trains in empty stations Silk stockings thrown aside Dance invitations Oh, how the ghost of you cling These foolish things Remind me of you These foolish things Remind me of you
There's a bit of nostalgia, these foolish things. The fourth choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, the concert pianist Mona Golubek. I saw, Mona, incidentally, here you are in a radio studio, that you've also had a little fling with radio, haven't you? A program called The Romantic Hours. Yes, I, I think it was the precursor to why I go out on stage now and tell stories. But it kind of relates back to the fact that my mother always told me as a child that each piece of music tells a story. So when I started to concertize in America, I would sometimes go out on stage and tell the backstories of the music. Um, specifically, I often t told about the romantic stories like Clara and Robert Schumann and the triangle with Brahms and... Uh, uh, the background and the I became very interested in poetry and the great poets and one thing led to another and then I was given an opportunity to come into a radio station and I said I had an idea for creating a radio show that combined letters diaries poetry uh, romantic stories with classical music and I ended up creating a show called the romantic hours that got syndicated up and became quite popular in America. It was a different approach to classical mm -hmm. music. Um, sometimes we combined Chinese poets with Bach partitas, uh, <laughs> Messian with uh, um, John Keats. I mean, it was a, a, a kind of a bouillabaisse of, and it worked, and especially young people loved it a lot, our audiences, and it uh, continues to be syndicated. Uh, we created about maybe 400 shows so wow. quite a body okay. of work out there just while you were saying that it suddenly dawned on me just now would this ever be a possible radio program your talk and your playing and this book this uh, in america was uh, syndicated on on the public radio station as a mother's day show uh narrated in a different way through my feelings about my mother and whatnot it was quite popularly received um it would be interesting to see if it could be explored. <laughs> if it would work on yes, radio. right. Yeah. Mona, just um, as we approach the end of our interview, uh, at the end of this book, one does, you know, you cut off where uh, Lisa's just becoming famous and all that. And so what you, sa you said she ended up in America. Just tell me what happened to Lisa in the l after all this. After her debut in London and after discovering the fate of the family, and as so many of these thousands of children discovered from the kinder transports uh, and were told by their parents at the train stations before they boarded the trains, before the war broke out, do not worry, we will be reunited one day and we'll go to America. America was a beacon of hope back then. Uh, the, the lady that raises her arm in the uh, harbor of New York. The Statue of Liberty, yes. yes. The Statue of Liberty, right. Is a beacon and a message to the world uh, that we've come together and that we are a place where you can come and uh, live, God willing, and not be persecuted. And that was the message that all of these kids knew. So when many of them discovered that their families were gone, they chose not to go back to their original uh, places where they grew up. Instead, to go on to America as proud immigrants to contribute to that country. And my mother was one of them. Uh, cousins in Los Angeles uh, volunteered to provide visa and support to bring her there. And I would like to think that this great nation will continue. My great nation of America will continue 
on such a path. It's a, a tremendous struggle right now in our country. Um, but I believe, I believe in the essence and the greatness of our country. Just as I've been deeply moved meeting the wonderful people of South Africa. And I think there's a similar shared history and bond of fighting for what is the best in mankind. Mona, what happened to Lisa's sister, Sonia, who did eventually join her in London? Well, I'm going to have to tell all your listeners that they're going to have to read the book to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And people, have you ever been to Williston Lane? Did you ever go and have a look at the house? I've been there many times. And in fact, I went down Wilsden Lane, hand in hand with the blind boy, Hans, oh, who lived Hans, yes. in the hostel with my mother. And was such a, a friend and inspiration to Lisa. That's right. Yes. Would always tap his cane and tell her to stop rushing in the Waldstein Sonata. <laughs> Is he still alive? No. He died about a year ago. And she had that lovely neighbor down the road who helped her so much whose name I've momentarily forgotten. Mrs. Canfield. Mrs. Quaker, Canfield. The Quaker lady. That's right, the Quaker yes. lady with a strange way of speaking. Yes. That amused Lisa. Yeah. Is she still alive? She can't be, I don't no, suppose. No, no. What was it like going to the house? The house is no longer there. Oh, uh, After okay. the bombing and it was rebuilt and then, of course, as the decades went on, uh, an entrepreneur came there and built an apartment building. Okay. But the folks that are living there now, they all came to see the show. <laughs> right, with the name Williston Lane. Yes, exactly. They came in London to see Now, um, thank you for coming by. Um, sorry we couldn't talk to you before your show here in Cape Town, but these things happen. But um, I know that the Cape Town and Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center were very honored to have you as their guests for these shows. And we're very honored to have you here at Fine Music Radio, Mona. But just to go back to the music, and the music we're going to end with is the Greek Piano Concerto. And that played a major role in Lisa's life, didn't it? They even had a little committee. And when they wanted to meet, they used to whistle or hum some of the bars and uh, would call them all together. Dee da 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 da. Da, right. da, da, da. And is this a special work? It must be very special for you to play it now as well. It's in many ways become the theme of my life. I never would have imagined that a few notes could have changed the course of my life, and it did. And it's been a great honor to be with you and to be here in your great country. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mona Golebeck.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hi, this is Peter Dirk Ace. My new show, Hashtag He Too, is at Peter Turin's Theatre on the Bay from the 28th of August to the 14th of September with me and Evita Besede together on stage at the same time. Listen, I'm whispering because she's outside the door and if she hears, she'll also want to talk to you. And you know, once she starts, she can never stop. So go Book a compu ticket now before she gets in the public protector. And oh hell, here she is. Hello, Danny. Mm-hmm.